What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consults RX podcast. And tonight we're uh, not doing an accredited episode. Cole and I were just chit chatting before we started recording that this is the uh, first time we haven't, you know, had to do more preparation. And it's been a couple months. Yeah, I feel like uh, this is a lot less pressure. So if you one. thought that the yeah. accredited episode, if you thought the prepared, prepared for. yeah, the prepared <laughs> material was bad, wait till you see the improv. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, but at least you know you can't. They can't get too mad if we go off on tangents, tonight, right? So, right. How's life, not man? Sitting there waiting for the uh, for the password. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> for the passwords. It's true. No password this episode. Right. Oh, that's true. We don't have to remember that this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about you? Pretty good, man. Same old, same old. Just yeah. uh, I got let's see, one week left of actual like lecture, and then their final exams, and then it's a whole nother PA group cohort. It's nice. gotten through didactic already. It's crazy. They ended this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, they they, they start do. right into some other I stuff, see. but they're done with my like the club, the block that my class is in. They're done with. I see. So yeah, they. I don't think they really get much of a break from here on out because then they start clinicals. I think in January, maybe. Yeah, the PA curriculum is uh, compressed. It is. It is tough because people. I think people assume, oh, it's a two year program, so that'll be a better, you know, easier way to going than yeah. going to get a doctorate. It's a shorter way for sure. Yeah. But it fit it a lot is, of info into those. Two it and is half a years. brutal program. Goes through summers. Yeah, it's really like two years and three months. Yeah, like, right. And it's intense. It's not like getting a master's degree in whatever. I mean, in it's, in it's hindsight, tough. though, I at the time really wanted the summers off that mm-hmm. I had. In, I would have rather just choked through and got it done faster. You know. Yeah, you say that in hindsight because you're done. Yes. Yeah. In the I, moment, it would have been horrible. If you I'm went back sure. right now, I feel like you'd still be like, you know what? Summers are pretty, pretty, pretty dope. I'm going to go ahead and keep doing summer thing. But my hope would be if it's shorter, it's cheaper. Yeah, that's true. And which might not be. Uh, but then, yeah, of course, you start earning earlier and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Upper, <laughs> upper, uh, opportunity opportunity cost. cost. There you go. Yeah, this is now an economics podcast. <laughs> Gosh, we would lose everyone. If, if we were, there, or maybe you, but if I was giving economic advice, it'd be. Wasn't there like a farm economics podcast? I don't know. Maybe. Didn't they record out of your studio for a second? Oh, yeah, yeah, duh. Um, yes, they did start that one. I don't think they ever... But they did like five or six episodes yeah. from what I saw, and I haven't heard anything from them in a while. Okay, yeah. At least they're not recording with me, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, they did. Yeah, that would be really boring if we did it. <laughs> yeah, we don't know anything. Well, You're actually, better. it might be very interesting because a lot of people would lose a lot of money. Well, people would be like, well, I guess we know what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> these, two, these two idiots. So here's what we've done since graduation. Yeah. Do the opposite. Yeah, exactly. By tons of... Uh, Cars you don't need. <laughs> they depreciate immediately. Have an Amazon package come every day. Oh, at least. If you go a day without an Amazon package, that's a problem. You didn't do it right. If you're not on a first-name basis with your Amazon driver. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's where that's where we're, where we're at right now. <laughs> no, but uh, since we're not doing an accredited episode, we wanted to kind of just touch on a, a, a new drug that came out fairly recently. Um, it is a new antidepressant. Um, mm-hmm. Cole, had you, had you seen this or heard much about this before it got approved? Not a thing. Yeah, I hadn't either because it's one that they've actually been trying to approve for quite a while. Um, the name is Jeprone, Jeprone, I guess is how you pronounce that. Sounds good to me. Um, and the brand name is, is Exua, it's E-X-X-U-A, and it's an extended release uh, capsule that uh, is for um, the treatment of major depressive disorder in adults. It's from Faber-Kramer Pharmaceuticals. Yes. I've heard of them, approved um, last month, September 28th. Yeah, and it's um, 
kind of a unique class of medication. I guess they're saying the first approved, you know, first in class kind of thing, but it's, it's basically a, a tar, an agonist for serotonin 1A receptors. So it's, it's not like an SSRI um, necessarily, or it doesn't have that blockade of the serotonin reuptake. It is actually going after that one specific receptor. So 5-HT, which is just serotonin, 5-HT1A agonist. Um, And we've kind of seen this idea with things like um, Trintilix, Mm because the idea with Trintilix is, you know, it has the standard SSRI, you know, component to it, the mechanism. But with a normal SSRI, you get that initial, um, you know, that synaptic cleft um, increased concentration of serotonin, which that's going to allow for more binding to 5-HT1A specifically, which once that interacts with enough serotonin, you get this negative feedback where it kind of shuts off that serotonin signaling and you have to overcome that downregulation of 5-HT1A, which is why SSRIs take like four to six weeks or so to really start working, um, at least two weeks to, to start seeing an effect because you have to overcome that downregulation of 5-HT1A. So with Trintilix, they have, uh, and, and uh, Velazidone is the other one, um, basically they were taking, they took a regular SSRI and then added that activity with uh, 5-HT1A partial agonism or agonism to sort of start the process of overcoming that that downregulation of you know the, of the serotonin signaling from the start, so that it ends up working a lot quicker than a standard SSRI alone. Yeah, but you have all the side effects of a normal SSRI, maybe a little bit better um, from like a sexual dysfunction standpoint and whatnot. So with this drug, they kind of just went ahead and got rid of the SSRI component and just went with the 5-HT1A you know, agonist activity. So it's a standalone drug that is unique to going after that specific receptor. Right. And you can think of some other drugs that um, uh, target those specific serotonin receptors like tryptans target 5-HT1B and 1D. There's a couple other migraine medications that target 1D. Um, of course, this is 1A. And I think what's notable it the um, so there's a couple of studies that got it approved there that were used to get it approved. They're interestingly somewhat small. Um, there was about 100 120 patients in each arm of both the studies. They only went for two weeks, um, and they were looking at a, a statistically significant decrease in the HAMD scores versus placebo. Um, which we've talked about the HAMD and other types of depression rating scales. It's just some sort of um, uh, somewhat objective measure of um, somebody's change in their depressive symptoms, uh, positively or negatively. Um, so over the eight weeks, they saw about a um, decrease of three more points on the HAMD score with the um, medication versus placebo. Uh, which what does that mean? Well, they determined that it was it resulted in a statistically significant decrease in their score, which improved their depressive symptoms. Um, only eight weeks, which I guess lends credence to the um, how quick speed. Because I mean, I, I don't know offhand, but I'm I feel confident that the 
like if studies with SSRIs would run more like two to three months at minimum. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or I'd say three where this is two. Well, and the other thing was um, the patients that they were looking at, like the maintenance study, that they were looking to see who, you know, the patients who had initially responded during that open label treatment um, were then randomized to continue the drug for up to 12 months or to switch to placebo. And then um, the patients, and you know, they were looked at to see who had a relapse of you know the other symptoms after during that period right. so i think that was kind of like the follow-up to it yes. but um in that particular case 24 percent of patients um, ended up um, having a relapse that were in the treatment group who continued treatment and then 38.7 percent in the placebo group so basically basically patients who came off the drug after um that initial eight, eight weeks yeah so that seems to fit with other things yeah but and it's i mean you know that definitely supports obviously maybe continuing it for that for that year but um i'd still say even though coming off of it after only eight weeks of therapy 38.7 percent were who relapsed i mean it's still quite a big percentage of patients who didn't relapse right was know? that placebo or was that treatment no that's so when they were random the patients who in the treatment group um like who had received, who had responded to the drug, then were randomized mm-hmm. to continue the drug oh, or, or switch to placebo. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were all, all initial responders. Interesting. Yeah. The um, the side effects. Some of them are what you would expect. Some of them aren't. Kind of like Mike had referenced. So most common side effect was um, a headache. Or actually, the most common side effect was dizziness and nausea. Um, dizziness occurred in about half of patients. Nausea and thirty five percent. Then headache, tiredness, insomnia, diarrhea. But going down the list, what was most notable to me is that there were no sexual side effects mentioned, which Mike referenced. Mike mentioned why. Um, but that's very significant. Yeah. Very significant. I mean, I feel like that's a, one of the biggest reasons why people are coming off of SSRIs or can't tolerate them, um, you know, at least, at least in younger patients. So, yeah, that, that's a huge win. I mean, we have... Uh, well, butrin. Bupropion is usually... And then maybe boost bar is not going to be very significant with sexual side effects or something like that. Right, but which is actually others. very similar to this. I mean, technically speaking, they're in the same class mm. as, as boost bar. This one is, has... Uh, th- I think the difference is, is boost bar has a lot more affinity towards the... Um, I think it's D2, uh, dope, one of the dopamine receptors as well, whereas this is specifically towards 5-HT1A without the dopamine interaction. Right. So there would be technically maybe even like less of a stimulant effect, although that is still listed as a side effect, like things like insomnia um, and whatnot. Yeah. Which is, which insomnia is still a concern with this. Yeah. That's Um, what I'm saying. Yeah. With uh, the dosing kind of unusual numbers, which some of them are that way. I'm not, I guess that's just, I wonder if that comes out of like rat studies where they come up with these um, very specific milligrams. 18.2 milligrams. Like, like Mike said, it's an extended release capsule. Tablet. Uh, Tablet. I I said it wrong earlier. Extended release tablet. Um, Then it can go up to 36.3 milligrams, 54.5 and 72.6. And it's once a day. Um, As far as how they recommend increasing on day four, they say you can go on up to 36.3 day seven, 54.5. Um, and then 72.6 once a day after an additional week. So compared to other um, major depression medications, that is a quick titration. Yeah. I mean, it's quick. Which, I mean, the study only went eight weeks, so you <clears throat> kind of have to expect a quick titration. Right. But I think that's because of all the, the lack of side effects, from a, you know, you don't have to worry about in this case. I mean, you're still side effects, but you know what I mean, not the SSRI side right. effects. And, I mean, 
another big reason for discontinuation, at least one of those counseling points that like a pharmacist is told to harp on is to give it time. It's going to take time. You're going to have to get past these transient side effects that are going to occur. And I'm sure there are people who stop or switch in that interim period before they would get to the, um, you know, getting feeling, actually feeling better, feeling better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this could be beneficial there. So, I mean, do you think it's taking the place of anything? No, I mean, not necessarily to me, it would be one of those situations where, you know, maybe they've tried Wellbutrin and it didn't work and, you know, they can't tolerate the side effects of an SSRI, SNRI. That's kind of the patient that I would think yeah. maybe it would fit for. I don't know that I would say first line or anything like that, um, at least until I, you know, I know more about it, I guess. But yeah. from, I mean, from what I've seen, I mean, I don't know that it would necessarily replace an SSRI or anything yeah. like that. I mean, may, maybe. Uh, We'd have to see it yeah, compared to something, yeah, which probably won't happen. be interesting, but I don't, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. No. Um, the one thing to be aware of, though, is it is a major substrate of 3A4. So did you, you didn't duck with this already, did no. you? Okay. Um, so if the patient is on a... Uh, another like moderate 3A4 inhibitor, then um, you have to reduce the uh, uh, Gepirone dose by 50%. And then if it's uh, a strong 3A4 inhibitor, completely contraindicated, don't give at the same time. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. And then Cole had mentioned, you mentioned the QT prolongation already. Did um, did you go into detail about that, no, Cole? not at all. So this is the part that I feel like would be the most problematic for me i think for, as far as getting patients on it so some things to, to consider you know typical you know medication that's going to affect serotonin we want to make sure that we're screening for like bipolar disorder any history of mania hypomania anything like that and then you know we also want to um, get a ekg on the patient at baseline because this uh, medication can prolong the qt interval and it's actually one of those things where the patient um, is baseline their qtc is uh, greater than 450 milliseconds then they can't even start this medication and so you you have to do an ekg at baseline and then you're technically speaking you're supposed to also do an ekg before dose titration and then periodically during treatment you also have to correct any like electrolyte abnormalities that may be you know occurring due to you know them being on steroids or uh, diuretics or you know whatever it may be and uh you know if there's if there are electrolytes and you know also don't not not forgetting to check magnesium as well um you know if there are electrolyte abnormalities you have to correct that before starting it as well so you don't increase the risk of that uh qtc prolongation and eventually developing torsades yeah i mean i can tell you just from experience with some providers who maybe were treating elderly patients and were more concerned with QT prolongation with other medications like, you know, Seroquel Mm -hmm. or something like that. It is definitely something that impedes starting uh, medication or will definitely deter them or I I would say deter them if um, if that's the extra step that you have to to go through. It's not a huge deal. I mean, a lot of times it can be done in the office same day stuff like that but it's just an extra step that they don't you wouldn't have to worry about with other things we were chatting that citalopram has a concern um but they don't even recommend a baseline ekg unless somebody has risk factors or something like yeah that. and i mean obviously if, if they do have risk factors if they're over the age of 50 then sometimes they will but i mean how often is that really done so that's what i'm kind of wondering is once this actually hits the market how often will it be done is it something that people are actually going to follow you know i, I feel like the warnings are a lot more specific on this. So I'm thinking the risk is probably a lot higher with this compared to 
At least the theoretical risk is higher with this. I would agree. I wonder what they saw in terms of how much they saw increases. Um, no, that, and that's the part. I didn't really dig into that part either. I just, you know, blurted through some of the warnings and things. So, yeah, yeah it'd be interesting to see, you know, why that got put on there. So, if anybody comes up with that, let's send us an email and let us know so we don't have to do the research. It does have renal and hepatic dose adjustments. So, yeah. 50 milliliters per minute, GFR 50 is kind of the cutoff. Less than 50, start at the 18.2 milligrams per day. Uh, you can increase to a max of 36.3 um, after day seven. So half the, effectively half the a regular max dose. Same with um, hepatic impairment. If they have a child puke score of B, um, then you would follow those same instructions. And if it's severe child puke C, it's contraindicated. Similarly in um Older patients, geriatric patients over 65, kind of follow the those same guidance, those same guidelines. Maximum 36.3 milligrams. Also, um, so as far as pregnancy safety, we one have no safety data in humans as far as pregnancy risk or you know um, concerns there. But uh, in animal studies, there's actually been shown to have some uh, adverse effects from embryo fetal postnatal development. So. Um, you know, at least in rat studies. So it's something that if you have a patient who is thinking about becoming pregnant or um, becomes pregnant, definitely uh, want to probably switch to something else until we know for sure that this doesn't actually lead to harm. I wonder if it would be helpful with um, anxiety, kind of like what butrin is. I mean, so it's a totally different mechanism. But. What I understand, they're looking at it for, um, there's one, a study right now, let me see if I can find this while we're talking. Um, there was a study going on right now for one for anxiety, and then one was like for weight um, or something. Hmm. Shoot, I, where was that? But um, but yeah, there, there is basically, uh, because it's got, it's a similar mechanism to buspirone without the dopamine activity uh, they are looking at it for an anxiety which I mean, makes sense because 5-HT1A as well as 5-HT2A um, that plays a role in uh, in anxiety and, and all that so right so what, what was that <laughs> something just fell My off cold microphone that was pretty funny <laughs> I, no <laughs> just, I got totally distracted I was like what was that um, yeah uh, I think that um, it's it, notable that it doesn't have any uh, weight gain associated with it. Another issue with SSRIs. I, don't, I won't say any, but I'm looking through the adverse effects. No, I think it's actually. I don't see. I, I think weight loss is something that they're actually considering it. Interesting. For. Yeah, I see like a three percent mentioned weight increased, but at least it's for sure not significant. Um, yeah, two biggest complaints. Two biggest complaints: weight and sexual side effects with mm -hmm. SSRIs. Yeah. They got that figured out. It'll be interesting. And uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering cost, too, because I didn't see anything on cost, did you? No. So I'm, I can't imagine this is going to be no. sertraline cheap. Oh, no. So uh, Probably hopefully. Probably 600 to $1,000. Yeah, I, uh, I hope not. Yeah. But, yeah, so I, I'm not going to sit here and search for it, but uh, there are ongoing trials with this medication, so take a look at those if you're interested, and I'll try to find them later. They do say you need to take it with food. Mm -hmm. um, yes. The absorption is relatively fast. With a high-fat meal, the peak plasma time is reached at three hours. Um, it's about 14 to 17% bioavailable, bioavailable, and it reaches steady state at two to four days. Um the um, peak plasma concentration after the intake of a low-fat meal, which they consider about 200 calories, like breakfast, was 27% higher 
um, after a medium fat meal, 55% higher, and then the high fat meal, 62% higher. So they definitely recommend taking it with food. Yeah. Anything else with uh, this that you saw? Half-life of five hours. Yeah. This is a short half-life for yeah. being once a day. I mean, I guess just the two to four days. Yeah, an extended release tablet with a half-life of five hours. It's pretty, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Well, I guess that's why it's extended release, because yeah. the drug itself is half-life of five hours. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, pretty cool. I'm glad. I mean, it's it's just good that we're at least getting something new. I, while I was looking at some of this stuff, there's also a ton like in the pipeline for yeah. um, schizophrenia medication or medications being targeted for different, even like first in class. You know, we've went over some of that at one one episode. I can't remember a while back. Sounds familiar. But uh, yeah, there's some cool stuff coming out for behavioral health meds. I'm pretty pretty excited. We'll uh, we'll keep you guys up in the in the loop as we go as we as we as we read about it. Yeah, you don't get new stuff for major depression too often. No, not especially not a first in class. No, it's been a few years since that Trentelix. Well, the what's the newest one? The newest one was that bupropion and dextromethorphan combo. Oh yes, the I can't remember it was an A. I think yes. It's like uh, and, and, I don't even remember. Yeah, which was really just a combination of something. It's basically yeah, it's basically just to enhance the effects of the bupropion and maybe provide a little bit of an extra. Right. Benefit yes, new drug, different first mechanism. in class. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Pretty cool. Heard it here first, maybe. <laughs> well, we're a little late to the party on this one. It was like two weeks ago, yeah. so probably didn't hear it first, but that's okay. Um, but yes, so the, thank you guys so much. You know, if there's any topics or anything you guys want us to cover, we're um, definitely always willing to to take requests. We don't know if we'll actually do them or not, especially if it's something that's way out of our wheelhouse. But uh, if you guys have any topics or anything, we'd definitely like to hear what you guys want to hear what you want to hear about and um definitely check out pearls.com uh pearls p-y-r-l-s.com slash core consult rx and it's a great drug uh, app you know for drug info resource and uh really good pharmacotherapy algorithms and flow charts and all that good stuff for those of you who are uh visual learners it's a it's a good tool and um also check out uh the patreon it's where you can get all of the more traditional style lecture PowerPoint slide and all that good stuff. And, um, you know, it just goes through various disease states and pharmacotherapy topics and whatnot. And uh, it's probably the the cheapest pharmacology review you can <laughs> you can do, and it helps support us and uh, making sure the show is good for you guys. So um, we appreciate all of you who have checked that out. And um, also, if you have any questions for Cole or myself, um, make sure you send us an email. Uh, you can text messages directly, send us a message through you know, um, social media, whatever you prefer, and we will do our best to get back in touch with you. And we appreciate all of you as always for continuing to listen to us. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Have a good night.